Is it having lunch with somebody, which, as you know, is part of the book, something called Three Lunches, which is based on a study out of Stanford that shows if we don't like each other because of our, our race or ethnic background, mm-hmm. that after they had completed the study of hundreds of these sort of pairings, that after you and I met three times to have a lunch or a coffee or just a, a long chat, that the, the cortisol and the chemical levels that showed prejudice went from high down to just mm. above zero. Mm. Those are simple everyday things we can do, but yeah. we don't do that. And yeah. so that's the approach so that we can make it accessible, build the muscle tone. So when the big thing happens, you can make a decision that is full of strength. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, community leader, writer, speaker, all around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you, yes, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Richard Louie. As a veteran journalist, Richard has more than 30 years in television, film, technology, and business. Currently at MSNBC and previously with CNN Worldwide, he is the first Asian American man to anchor a daily national cable news program and a team Emmy and Peabody winner. In addition to journalism, Richard's 15-year business career involves a fintech patent and launching six tech brands over three business cycles. He's lived, worked, and volunteered on every continent. Richard is a celebrity champion for the Alzheimer's Association, caregiving champion for AARP, and caregiving ambassador for Bright Focus Foundation. And he just released his first book, Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. I actually had the opportunity to meet Richard in person back in 2019 when, you know, like events in person were a real thing. And he is just as kind and genuine as you could imagine. I absolutely treasured our time together here on the show. And he just has such an incredible perspective on caregiving and selflessness and life and uh, just so many things. He was a gift. It was truly such an incredible conversation. I know that you are going to love it. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Richard Louie. Welcome, Richard. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of what I know is just kind of a crazy schedule right now with having just launched a book and so much going on. So thank you for being here. Molly, I was expecting like, you know, uh, the big, loud entry to this conversation because I've been (laughs) listening to some of your pods and I'm like, sometimes you come into an episode and it's like everything's coming out of the kitchen except for the kitchen sink. Uh, So I was ready for like, so I I made the noise for us. Yes. I can I can add in some sound effects. (laughs) It'll be be all good. Pops clanging. Yes. The whole nine yards. Like a kazoo. What what happened to the kazoo? Okay. Like I feel like the kazoo kind of made its way out. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love kazoos so you, you're gonna get me and and the um the slide clarinet the, whatever the little, little thing. Yeah, yeah the slide yeah yeah we're we're we are 
going to make those two minor musical instruments. Can they even be called musical instruments? They're going to make their way back. I vote yes, and I'm looking around my desk to see if I might have one sitting around, and I don't. Okay, if you... I'm not going to lie, Richard. If you had a kazoo or a slide clarinet just happened to be sitting on your desk, you would be officially my new favorite person on the planet. You know what I'm, I'm looking for now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it so much. Well, I am just, like I said, I'm so pumped to have you on the show. As we shared before we started recording... You and I very briefly met at a anti-human trafficking event here in the Raleigh-Durham area back in November of 2019, which just feels like uh, an entire lifetime ago. Um, and uh, for it was an event for Freedom United. We have a mutual friend, Joe Schmidt. And so uh, it's just cool to now also connect um, on something totally different. Um, but so I'm, I'm just really excited to have you here. That was a great event, and uh, that we, we just had another virtual yeah. uh, gathering, and uh, it was great to be there together for the very first ever yeah. as we think about equity amongst people, and yeah. human trafficking, as you know, is one of those, especially based on the, the topic of your, your podcast, uh, when we think about supply chain, so important that we think yeah. that next level deeper. So yeah. it was really great to, to see you there and know that you are thinking the same way yeah. about clean supply chains and why it makes sense when you're talking about compassionate business, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that kind of leads me right into the beginning is I want you to give us the Richard 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you kind of got here today. I invented the slide whistle. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next time we return together, I will have one at the ready. Yes, I'm Um, here for that. You know, it's, it's, I would say that uh, 101 is... uh, a life of zigging and zagging um, inopportunely, if you will. I don't know if that's, that's proper, but I think the way I kind of got to our time getting to sit together was, as we all know, uh, both unplanned and planned all together yeah. in the same mix. Yeah. And I started as uh, working at Mrs. Fields. I, in high school, I thought I was going to be the world's youngest apostle. Uh <laughs> College didn't happen until my mid-20s, and then I, I worked in a lot of small businesses, little startups in, in tech, and then I changed careers to work in Fortune 500, if you will, or I wanted to, Citibank, and then I changed again to uh, follow journalism and moved to uh, a network in Singapore, and then I went to CNN, and then MSNBC, and then the last five years, seven, eight years have been... Uh, yet another growing spurt, taking care of my dad, yeah. who has Alzheimer's, and it's uh, year eight right now. Mm. Um, and in that time, learned a lot of different things that I never thought I would uh, learn. Again, not on the plan, but wow, some just great stuff. So uh, here as we sit today in 2021, it's been, uh, who knows what's next? Yeah. And I'm serious when I say, you know, uh, I'm going to get, I might work on that next version of the slide was so anything's possible (laughs) (laughs) anything is possible at this point yeah so you obviously you had this very uh established career in journalism 
what led you, I have to ask, what led you from working at Mrs. Fields and smelling warm chocolate chip cookies all day? That's just what I'm assuming you did. Um, what what led you from Miss, Mrs. Fields to journalism? Did you always know that you wanted to go into journalism or did it kind of happen by accident? Uh, rubbing belly sound, because yes, I love cookies. Yes. Uh, I used to eat like six a day. And um, that was from, I was like, I think I was 17 or 18 when I first started, definitely very young. And I, I uh, learned a lot from, I went to cookie college before I went to city college <laughs> of San Francisco. And cookie college was real. We went out to Park City, Utah and um, learned a lot about what uh, good cookie making is, as well as some basic management skills. And that really, I learned a lot in that. And, and I joke about it, but it's it's real. Like I did go to cookie college before city college and cookie college was the, the lessons I learned at that young age from, you know, like 17 to, to 21 and in that range um, were lessons I still use today. You know, it's, yeah. it's like how to how to talk to people in small, how to hire folks, how to yeah. fire folks how to set goals and, and, um, you know, discipline, things like that. were all part of that very early, um, experience. And so like when I was having to, I was training managers at, at some point towards the end and they, these folks were twice my age and, um, you know, it really, I think grew me up pretty fast and, uh, fast forward to today and, you know, being a, a journalist over at uh, MSNBC and NBC news and a news anchor now for about 15 years. You know, I, I certainly didn't see those two points fitting on the same yeah. sort of chronology, but I, I think the openness that my folks gave me early on, again, going to cookie college before city college, yeah. that openness, I think, because I was kid number three out of four. Yeah. My first two brothers probably, you know, paved the road for that, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so my folks were, were open in many ways to me, not going to, to, to college after high school. I mean, they were just lucky I graduated from high school because I, you know, I almost flunked out twice or flunked a grade twice and I got kicked out of one high school to another one. So, you know, I am uh, that pastor's kid uh, nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, you clearly uh, learned a lot along the way. And I always kind of tell, you know, I, I love the way you said at the beginning too, how you're story is really a zigzag. And I think that that's a lot of our stories. And when we look back on the bizarre zigzags of our life, and at the time, you're like, why did I go to cookie college? Although that sounds awesome. Uh, like that sounds <laughs> I'm 1 million percent in favor of my child going to cookie college if that's what they want to do. But yeah. you know, kind of the the path from cookie college to to being an anchor um, on, you know, major cable news networks, you know, a lot of times people will be like, well, how does that happen? But you look back and you realize like, oh, every step along the way taught you something and you learned something and you gained something from that. And, you know, as a people of faith, like we know that God does not make any accidents. And we know that uh, sometimes these zigzags of life lead us exactly to where God wants us. And so um, you just released a book, which we talked about, uh, Enough yeah. About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. And this is just, let me just say that this is a book that I so believe in the message of, um, because it is so 
counter to the culture that we live in, um, where there is this, let me just say as a podcast host, I get many, many, many pitches for people to be on my show. Um, Mm. and a lot of them are great. Um, but the amount of self-help self-care gurus I'm not kidding. And if you are listening and you are a self-help, self-care guru, please do not hear this as like, as I am knocking you. I more, you go do awesome things. I get like 10 a day for this. And it's this exchange, the picture and name of the person. It's the same thing. The same people promoting, like, put yourself first, do yourself, you know, take care of yourself. And and we're kind of going to get into this. And it's not about it's not that being selfless or thinking of others before yourself means you let yourself go or you, you don't take care of yourself. That's not it. But Mm -hmm. there is this message that is very prevalent in our culture of putting yourself first. And your book is just kind of this journey that you went on. And so can you kind of tell us about what happened? What made you kind of leave your career and how you discovered uh, this, what you call this selfishness pandemic. You hit it right on the head because our goal was to create an anti-self, self-help book. Mm -hmm. And that was weird within itself to say and write out, but we realized that that is, that is an, um, a worthwhile objective. It is above the team's pay grade, above my pay grade to be able to try to write something on this, but the, the perspective was that, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. Right. And to try to talk about something that, you know, I was sort of, you know, the first chapter is called Halftime. Yeah. And the reason why it's Halftime is because I'm sort of look, reflecting on, okay, what have I learned so far and what will help me in the next half? And one of those things that, you know, I was reflecting earlier about taking care of my dad for the last seven, eight years what were some of the things I learned along the way? And one of those things in those sort of like recasting of my identity, like, you know, sometimes you think you hit a certain part in your life and like, ah, I got it. Yeah. I figured this mousetrap out. Yep. Well, in the last sort of uh, five, six years, it's been that mousetrap's been recreated several times for me. Yeah. And so I wanted to reflect on that. And one of the things was this anti-self self-help book. And, and it's not necessarily a caregiving book, even though there are 53 million family caregivers in our great country, yeah. um, it is a reflection on what the value is that, you know, just about every religion embraces, and that yeah. is that golden rule, right? Yeah. Um, and so the idea that we are living through a selfish pandemic, I think is real, because, you know, as a journalist, I've had to cover, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of bad, selfish people yeah. um, that have you know, just we, we, we've had a mass killing this week. We've had one last week. We've had one the week before. And that is the epitome of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And um, so that sort of negative, if you will, the selfish pandemic, that and how cheap violence has become and, yeah. and hate's become, yeah. uh, living through uh, uh, racial strife in the last year at a very high level and people standing up against it. When we think about the viral pandemic and folks, you know, like my mom, who's 80 plus, and there's some folks that would say, oh, I'm not going to wear a mask because I'm, I'm safe from it. But my mom isn't. She's very susceptible to it. So all these things coming together for me just said, you know, we are living through an unfortunate time where stuff ain't so good when it comes to self-ishness. And yeah. so that's what kind of inspired the book in terms of what is why today's context said, let's dig into it. 
we didn't want to dig into it, Molly, in a way that was, you know, way up here, you know, too, too heady too like, well, that's a great idea. Duh. Yeah. Instead, we wanted to go at it in a, okay, well, how do I do it every day? Yeah. And so that's why it's kind of a, this anti-self self-help book is tries to be instructional and it really tries to prove to myself as I go through every chapter, oh, that's a great idea, Richard, but we'll prove it to me. And so that's, I tried to prove it to myself and you know, there might be too many studies and research because that's why we brought on a scientist. That's why we brought on a, a, a junior researcher because we really, I really wanted to prove it to myself that these ideas were worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things, again, kind of going back to how we were discussing earlier, how as people of faith, like this is what uh, we believe we've been called to is that's, I mean, we had that modeled for us in Jesus, like the ultimate in selflessness. And how for years, it's just is proven over and over and over again about when you put others before yourself, when you are giving, when you're generous, how that not only benefits the recipient of that selflessness or that or that gift, um, but how it benefits us as yeah. the giver. Um, and uh, actually, there was a... Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, I'm curious in the research, because there is data, like there is data that backs this up, that people that are generous and selfless are happier, they live longer, like they have lower blood pressure and lower cholesterol. Like it is like your body actually like heals itself when you are selfless and giving. But I'm curious, like what was some of the the research that you, you came across that maybe was surprising to you? Yeah, you know, one of them was uh, chapter 17 in gratitude, where, you know, it's kind of the, the healthy cousin of selflessness. Yeah. And uh, it's giving, it's uh, vulnerable, it is saying, thank you, Molly, it is writing a letter, gratitude letters are mm-hmm. very healthy for us. And those letters, you know, you can write to uh, your husband, or you can write to, you know, a great mentor, you can write it to the, the creator of the slide whistle uh, and, and all these things that when we do write it and we actually yeah. read it to that person, mm-hmm. um, our cortisol stress hormones go down, uh, the stress chemicals go down, dopamine goes up, oxytocin goes up, and it stays up for about uh, a month. Wow. And that's just in terms of gratitude letters. In, in terms of the unintended benefits, personally, and, and, I, I, and you were bringing up that you know, you get personal benefit by thinking of others. That's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Like some of us might think, but wait, shouldn't it be pure sacrifice in that sentiment of sacrifice? Meaning that you're you're taking uh, analogy, taking ten dollars out of my wallet and putting it into yours, and therefore it's minus ten in my wallet. And and what we try to say or or push in the book is that yeah, sometimes it is that minus ten out of my wallet plus ten into somebody else's, but more often than not, it's a, it's a one plus one equals three. And um, you brought that idea up. So it's, it's that, you know, we do get something out of it yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. Because it, it is, so long as it's 51% helping another or being selfless for somebody else, that's what's good. And uh, one of the other studies that we look at, which is uh, you live longer, uh, yeah. you look better, you are happier. And, 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 you know, we have one chapter called Goodness is Gorgeous. Uh, and that is because you actually look better. Yeah. And, and we, we quote a study of uh, archaeologists in their 20s going out into a, a project. They all rank each other by how they look. And so one of the individuals that we bring up in, as an example, she comes in at a 3.5. 
at the end of this project, they all do the very same thing again. They also reflect on how giving every person is, how selfless every person is. So she ranked very high on selflessness and her, if you will, uh, attractiveness rating doubled uh, to almost seven. Wow. And, and so the, we do change the perception of, you know, our perceptions do change based on how others are selfless. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also, I mean, we can get into living longer as well. Yeah. We, we looked into that and yes, you, you can live up to four years longer if yeah. you, if you, uh, you know, live in selfless ways and yeah, it goes on and on. There's so much data behind it. Yeah. It really is amazing. Hey, friend, I am going to take a quick break from my chat with Richard to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. It is time. We are in the peak of the spring, and it is time for your spring clean refresh. So I know you want to get that home sparkling the safe way with Mama Suds. Their Castile soap is absolutely the superhero of soaps. Not all heroes wear capes, but this Castile soap does. It does everything from the windows to the walls. It is truly the only soap you need. So what can you do with Mama Suds Castile Soap? Clean the floors, scrub the counters, bathtubs, tile, clean the baseboards and the windows and the blinds. You can even use it to clean the carpets. Another way that I love to use Castile Soap and specifically Mama Suds is I will take a foaming hand soap container, fill a little bit with Castile Soap and then the rest with water and boom, you've got some fresh hand soap made out of Castile Soap. Pretty great just a little tip for you here on the podcast. So grab yourself a gallon of Mama Suds Castile Soap and start tackling all of your spring cleaning to-dos at mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Richard Louie. You know, you brought up the gratitude letter um, and this was something that I was really struck by and really touched by in your book and in your story and that you wrote... Uh, this letter to your dad, you read it to him. Um, And as you know, we know that uh, your dad has been battling Alzheimer's, which is just an, uh, for anybody that has known somebody with um, Alzheimer's or any form of dementia, it's just a really difficult, really, really painful disease. And so uh, this was something that you did for him and and in some ways, I think, or in a lot of ways for yourself. Um, But I would love for you to just kind of share what led you to write that letter and, and kind of share maybe some, you know, I I would love for listeners to kind of take away today and say, you know what, maybe there's somebody in my life, I need to write a letter like that, too. Um, So can you kind of tell us that story? Yeah, you know, my dad has, uh, and my mom, too, I I, I focus on his story a lot, because it's, um, it's been, you know, talk about changing career, which we began our conversation with. When I uh, first found out he was diagnosed, I, I walked into my, my boss's office and I asked her what we might be able to do, knowing that my kind of job isn't typically a three-day-a-week job. It's an eight-day-a-week job. Yeah. And, and before that, she was sending me all sorts of different places you know, um, for good reasons. And uh, she actually said, I'm a caregiver too. And my mom's in Florida. We're in New York. And she said, let's come up with some ideas. And sure enough, you know, she came up with one idea, which is, you know, I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I travel the rest of the, the week. So I was able to travel back and forth about three times a month. And, you know, I was able to, and I didn't see it as giving back to my father. So, but I'll use that verb. Yeah. Uh, I just saw it as me doing what I wanted to do to help him. Yeah. And so the gratitude letter 
is a long, long letter of action um, of seven years of, you know, thinking of how do we help him? How do we help my mother as well along this journey? Because yeah. uh, he helped me in my journey, certainly. You know, he taught me how to defend myself as I was being bullied as a, you know, little Asian kid. He, he let, gave me money when I wanted to go back to, to city college. Yeah. And I had a, you know, a debt to pay for my car because I love cars. And he said, I'll borrow against the house. Uh, here's the check for, you know, Mm $9,000 and and, uh, you can go back to school. And so my gratitude letter has been not only been in that, in the the sense of words, but also in the sense of actions over, you know, recent years. And it's it's really an enlightening, it was an enlightening part of creating the book because I started using a gratitude app as well, which, you know, and I would just reflect, you know, like, what am I thankful for today? And I would see, you know, some days would be people, Mm -hmm. some days it would be water and air right? Electricity, just to be, think about this, the simple things, you know, it'd be coffee, um, <laughs> you know, who knows what it would be. Yeah. So it was, it was really, uh, try them out if you can. Those gratitude apps, the gratitude letter yeah. um, is something that is, it sounds really straightforward, but then you're doing it and you're like, wow, this is, and then you're, it's a little uncomfortable in a way, but yeah. you still, you still learn a lot from it and get a lot out of it. And training wheels up to that, the gratitude app. Yeah. Yeah, I, I started, uh, I was always a kid who really loved the idea of journaling. Like I would buy a journal and I would write in it like three days and then I would not. But in adulthood, it's been something I have, um, really come to cherish. Um, and I, it's not fancy. Actually, my journals are (laughs) for, you can't see for those listening, but Richard can, my journals are right behind me. And I, Every day, I just I write a verse of scripture, and then I just write kind of what's on my heart, what I'm thankful for that day. And I'll be honest, like there are some days where I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel, like I'm just. But it's I force myself to do it, and I do it even on days that I don't necessarily feel super grateful. Um, Mm. But it's amazing how on those days when I'm kind of just in a mood, like let's be honest, we all have those days, and. But I I dig into that bottom of the barrel and I force myself to think about, okay, a lot of things didn't go right today, but oh, it was a beautiful day. Like it was 72 degrees and um, I woke up in a really comfortable bed and I had a delicious meal. Like you start to take inventory of those little things. And it's amazing the mindset shift that you can have. And it's something I learned from my mother. My mother died when I was in high school and she battled a very, very, very rare illness for about 10, almost 11 years before she died. And she certainly had days, a lot of days where things were really terrible, but she, something even as a young kid and and into my teenage years, I would always notice how she would shift that perspective of her day when she was barely functioning because she was so sick and she would just take inventory of everything she was grateful for. And she, I remember her teaching me from a very early age, Molly, you can start your day over whenever you want. And so if I was having a bad day, she's like, just start it over. Just start it over. Everything that just happened was yesterday. And um, I like that. Yeah. And that's something I took into adulthood. And it really does it's a muscle. Um, as you talked about in your book, like gratitude is a muscle that has to be trained. Selflessness is a muscle that has to be trained. It's something that takes practice. Um, but when you form that habit, it really does make a difference. Um, and so, so I, true. yeah. And so <clears throat> I, that actually kind of 
leads me to that question is, um, you know, we briefly touched on how when you when you decided to kind of take this shift and begin caring for your father and, and focusing on being more selfless, like you struggled a little bit at first and it was hard and um, and, and you learned that it really is a muscle. So can you kind of share what would th- what was that like for you? Yeah, it still is. It's really tough for me. Um, I was just thinking about I like these conversations, by the way, because it makes I always get to reflect on like where I goofed up recently yeah. so I, you know um yeah. first cup of coffee for the day and um like yesterday thinking about myself and you know th- this work can be a little consuming sometimes yeah. and uh even though the the topic is selflessness sometimes you know it's um i got to remind myself that it's um to try to remember some of the things i researched and i put in there because again this is a journalist approach to the topic so yeah. it's not like i'm coming at it like i'm some professional on it i'm not I'm just trying to dig into the story to learn the most I can and then and then share it. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. And um, so the journey of, you know, coming together for the book has been how to keep on those calisthenics. Right. Those day to day things. And, and that is the approach is sort of a bite size approach so that when the big things happen, you're ready and, and you're, you got tone. Yeah. And so uh, some of the items, one of the analogies I bring up are our great healthcare workers in the last year. Yeah. You know, we were, we were, at least in the news business, we'd have all this video of them, you know, talking to a camera and they're in their scrubs and they're a car and they're telling us what a difficult day they've had, the people they've lost, yeah. that they, the families they tried to help and they couldn't, they wanted to do more and they would cry and they would get angry and they'd get, be worried and scared. And then they put down the camera. And guess what they did? They went right back into those hospitals. Yep. Yep. And I would ask, like, why? And it's, it's very clear, you know, that that approach that they have every day of their job is to give to other people. Yeah. And to put themselves in danger. Yeah. Um, and that is a great example of, of muscle tone and muscle set and, and something they had no idea. They didn't know what this thing was, yeah. but they still went in. Yep. And I remember that because my dad actually was in the hospital at the beginning of COVID. And, you know, I was looking at all these nurses and doctors and they were putting on this beginning. So they would, they were trying to develop the protocols and they weren't yeah. sure what it was. And so I think that example and analogy is what I'm trying to express in the book. You know, well, how can you do that? Well, you know, we make a conscious decision every 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, so when I make that decision, whatever it is, let's say it's getting a cup of coffee, let's say it is having lunch, do I then offer to a coworker, I'm going to get a donut? Do I buy a dozen for, for everybody at work? Um, yeah. Is it a gratitude? Is it a thank you? Is it having lunch with somebody, which as you know, is part of the book, something called Three Lunches, which is based on a study out of Stanford that shows if we don't like each other because of our, our race or ethnic background, mm-hmm. that after they had completed the study of hundreds of these sort of pairings that after you and I met three times to have a lunch or a coffee or just a, a long chat, that the, the cortisol and the chemical levels that showed prejudice went from high down to just mm. above zero. Mm. And the, those are simple everyday things we can do, but yeah. we don't do that. And yeah. so that's, that's the approach so that we can make it accessible, build the muscle tone. So when the big thing happens, uh, you can make a decision that is um, full of strength. Yeah, yeah. That's a really, really beautiful perspective um, and something that, you know, I hadn't really ever thought about as especially the, the healthcare workers is a great example is this kind of 
innate almost instinct in them to because I mean, it's part of the job. And, and it's funny that you say that because my mom was a nurse. She was a nurse in Vietnam and uh, in the Vietnam War. And so that was, you know, that carried on with her for years, even until she got sick. And so uh, that's a really, it's just funny because I'd never considered that before. And people who are listening who are in healthcare are like, duh, but like I hadn't even, I'd never (laughs) thought about that as that just something that um, is kind of built into their DNA almost. It is. Yeah. And, and, And they practice it. And sometimes... You know, I was talking about these mass killers that I have unfortunately become very good at covering. Yeah. There's always been the opposite around them and more of them. Mm-hmm. So amongst all of this selfishness, the epitome of it, there's all these great people around yeah. that show that there's so much goodness out there. Yeah. And, you know, I write about it in the book because they are inspiring to me. Yeah. Um, they, they do give... They do give us that example of, yeah, there is a selfish pandemic happening, but there's all these good examples out there that we just have to look a little bit deeper to see what's behind the forehead mm. other than just the forehead. Yeah. And I always want to tell their stories because I love them. Uh, those stories are fantastic, Molly. But I, I know that in the arc of a story, sometimes it's not what you're going to lead with, right? Because yeah. if, if it's just happening now, and I do see this sort of amazing person that stood up against this selfishness, you know, I, I do wait sometimes. And I, you know, one of the, there's a, there's a chapter that just focuses on folks that have really, you know, inspired me over time to, to keep on going. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question is, you know, I'm always curious to know out of all the stories that you have covered over the years, I mean, for your long career in journalism, you've covered a lot of stories and you've covered many, many different uh, things that we've all experienced or we've all seen. And so I'm wondering, like, are there any stories in particular that just really stick out to you that you just, you're like, I will never forget this? A lot. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I was going to say, I bet. A lot of them. And the one I, I like to share, and I could, this is where I could put you and all the rest of your listeners to sleep, is um, I guess I could just keep on talking about these amazing people. And, and you know, I'll bring up, I'll bring up Muhammad, who, you know, his store was being you know, uh, stolen from, it was being, you know, ransacked, it was being burned. This is in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm. And he was, his store, which was a small corner shop, was getting looted um, every night. And he would still open up every day. And, you know, our camp to cover uh, was the Michael Brown story. Yeah. um, And the killing of Michael Brown. And our our campus was just right across the street from where Sam's uh, meat market was at. And um, I was like, he's still, he's still open? But I thought he got looted again last night. Wait, he opened again? And so uh, on like the third or fourth day, I walk over there and it's like, is Sam here? And yeah. he's like, well, it's called Sam's, but it's owned by me. My name's Muhammad. And uh I said, well, Muhammad, and he's like in his mid-fords, Muhammad, why are you still open? And he would say, well, I, I don't have a lot, and but I do know that I am here for my customers because they depend on me. I am their store. Mm. And so I don't have a lot, and I don't have, like, in, in the meat market section of his store was, like, two or three items. Like, I'm, you know, like a long glass case and, like, two small items in the middle. I was like, but you don't have, it's like, well, they still come in. And so I'm open for them. 
And, you know, well, what about your family? Aren't they worried about you? Because you're getting looted and you're, it's being burnt and they break down the windows every night. She said, he said, yeah, my, my wife is very worried, but she knows why I have to do it. Hmm. And so I'm open every day, every morning. And I come in and I, I clean up and I put the little items I've got on my shelf. And this is for the people that depend on me. And, you know, it's just stories like that that, that are simple mm-hmm. and straightforward that show, you know, there's a lot of selfless people out yeah. there that up against all this stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's Muhammad from mm. Sam's Meat Market in Ferguson, Missouri. Man, I love that story. Um, it's beautiful and sad and just also really encouraging and I don't know. You feel a lot of feelings when you hear a story like that. Um, Well, Richard, I could clearly talk to you all day. But before we go and before we get to the get to know you round, you know, obviously, I'm going to just go ahead and tell everybody for you. Everybody needs to go buy your book. Uh, Enough about me. The unexpected power of selflessness. Everybody needs to go buy this. But what's kind of on the horizon for you, obviously, other than, you know, showing off your book, baby? (laughs) <laughs> you know, the horizon is um, not stopping, I guess, and trying to figure out what's next. Uh, you know, there's uh, another project I'm looking at talking about caregiving. I, I want to focus because of the business background to take a look at uh, deeper ways of how organizationally we can be selfless. Mm-hmm. And I touch on some of that in the book under uh, career payoff. But, you know, business, for instance, was created with a selfless notion. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, you know, when it was all about the royal family and the feudal lords and they, they yeah. controlled commerce. And then you and me, Molly and I started our own little businesses on the outside so we had more equity yep. amongst ourselves because we didn't, it was, it was very lopsided, right? Yeah. And so um, I could go on and on about that stuff. But I, I really think that what we've lived through and are living through is a gargantuan opening mm. for organizational selflessness. And we've already seen it expressed in business decisions and models, but we haven't codified it yet. Mm. So I'm really excited uh, about what that might mean going forward. And especially it's appropriate for what you do yeah. uh, in your work. Yeah, well, that is awesome. Um, I know that uh, whatever you do is going to be incredible. Um, and I just really appreciate the work that you're doing and just even in your personal life and, um, you know, the example that you're setting, uh, helping care for your, your dad. And um, I just really appreciate it. So Richard, thank you. Thank you, Molly. And just to answer your question one more time, what I, what's next for me? I am going to buy a slide whistle. I like it. Please do. I am. Please do. <laughs> I got it right um, Well, uh, before we go, this is the get to know you round where we just ask okay. some fun get to know you questions. Uh, it's my listener's favorite part of the show. It's my favorite part of the show. Um, these are very lighthearted and, and not serious at all. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, are you ready? Okay, I'm sitting down. All right. So what part of a child's movie, like a kid's movie, completely scarred you as a kid? Ah, you know, it didn't scar me, but it maybe it did in a small way. I'm Christmas story is just I I, I just see myself <laughs> yes. in that movie. Uh, and I, I I immediately popped into my brain. So I'd have to say that's the movie that has definitely left a mark uh, in my brain. Yeah, uh, I will never not that I ever really had a plan to but I will never lick a frozen pole. I'm just no, not going to ever do and that. And I, I never saw a duck at a Chinese restaurant ever the same. <laughs> 
No, ma'am. I did after that oh scene, gosh. which I was laughing at my belly was just yeah. like shaking. Yeah. It was everything about that movie is hilarious. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, what is something I would never guess about you? That I have a Holland Lop bunny. Oh, okay. So tell me about this bunny and what is their name? Uh, how long have you had this bunny? About six. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, it is four month four. Um, he is, I think, six or seven months old. And um, I like dogs, but in Manhattan, I I would <laughs> I get very upset with the number of dogs that are out there because there's a lot of folks that are leaving stuff on the street. Yeah, and it's just not fair to the dog. So I was thinking about the right size sort of pet for a small apartment, and um, so Marty is is was running around the side of me a second earlier when we were starting and starting to chew up some letters and I had to pull it away from him. And now <laughs> as bunnies, are, I, I've never had one. I love I've never bunnies. had one, but uh, you know, they sleep like every five minutes, they take a little nap, then they get up and they run around and sleep. And, I mean, you, you're on a farm, so I bet you, you have yeah. lots of bunnies. Yeah. Well, we don't, well, we have wild bunnies for sure. Um, my kids have certainly at some point asked me for a pet bunny and I'm like, guys, we, there's a lot of animals that are going to be here. I mean, we just moved in uh, a few weeks ago. We already have chickens. Uh, we've got some guinea fowl coming. We've got goats nice. on the way. We've got dogs. There's a lot, there's a lot happening. So I'm like, guys, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What song do you have to sing along with the moment you hear it? Because I volunteered at the YMCA for like 10 years as a kid, we had a, a, a little, we had a little uh, youth service group that yeah. we went to. And I spent Fridays and Saturdays from 13 to 22 in this group. And uh, so, yes, you can probably guess which song, yeah. which we, we we'd all go to camp. You know, um, there were all these sorts of songs we'd sing from the 60s and 70s because my our counselors were from that time. They love those songs. So, you know, No Man is an Island is the one great song that we would sing a lot. But certainly <laughs> the village people of village, all songs. I mean, the village people. Hey, I got to admit, like. I'm not saying that it's my favorite song. I'm not saying I would pick it if yeah. somebody was like, what do you want to listen to? Like, I'm not going to say like, you know, I want to hear the YMCA. Um, yeah. But if it's Wouldn't playing, it all of a sudden you just start to like your head starts to bob a little yes. bit. And then dun, 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 it's fun to stay at the and then every why yeah. I mean, you just it's it's a it is built into the American fabric. It is. <laughs> Fuck. You're right. I it's wouldn't just... pick it to listen to it, but I was thinking, which one would make me do that? It would, but if it's it would, on, it would be that. We'll all go like this. YMCA. Mm, I, we'll just all do it. Everybody's going to do it. My seven-year-old knows how to do the YMCA. So <laughs> it's just, I'm like, I don't even know how she learned. It's not like I taught her. So I'm like, does, <laughs> is this just like, is it, are we at the point in our culture where our children, like, it's like a, it, like a natural instinct. Like they just know what to do. I don't know. I have questions. It's a funny song. It really it's, exactly. <laughs> it's built questions. into the, the peas and the oh carrots. I love it. I love it. Okay. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, uh, Richard, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm, it is uh, invigorating. Mm. It really is. Uh, I think all business, uh, I, that's what we're living through right now. In that, that whole idea of business with a purpose, with compassion, with empathy, what the last year has recast what it means to do that. It yeah. is no longer like I, 
I am going to do that. It is like expected. Mm -hmm. And you and me as, as uh, runners of businesses, but vice versa, as business consumers, yeah. customers, business customers, we expect that now. Yeah, It is really a special time. I'm not sure how long we're going to be able to grab onto it, right? But right now we are hot in, in the middle of it. Yep. It's really amazing. 100%. 100%. Could not agree more. Uh, Richard, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show um, and for your honesty. And um, just thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Molly. And don't stop. I, I'm, I can't wait for episode 1,900 <laughs> and uh, 1,990 because that's when you get to. I know that that's the those are the solo episodes on on the evens, right? Yeah, on the on the evens. So well, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Richard. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Molly. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>